One of the biggest questions people still ask me when they find out that I have been plant-based for over a decade is, where do you get your protein? So today we do a deep dive with one of the world's leading dietitians in plant-based nutrition, Brenda Davis. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about high performance and well-being, and I'm your host, Sonia. And if you're new around here, I am a world and multi-time national champion in mountain biking, and I still race professionally. I'm a health and mental performance coach, a writer, a mom of two little kids, and I own my own business. And if you're not new around here, welcome. I'm so glad that you're back, and I'm so grateful that you are part of this awesome community and that we get to learn and grow together. So it's a very small amount of animal protein. You're swapping for plant protein. And they found that when you do that, you drop overall mortality 10%. And so imagine, that's 60 calories. Imagine if you swap 240 calories, you would reduce risk of mortality 30%. You would be multiplying it by three times. If we did some math, and if you replaced one large egg, which is 78 calories, two ounces of meat, which is about 142 calories, and a cup of milk, a 2% milk, about 103 calories. You replace those with plant protein each day, you could reduce your risk of mortality by 54%. So that's, that's pretty powerful. It's one step at a time. It's not about being perfect. It's about moving in the right direction. And every little step you take in the right direction, I think is worth celebrating. Welcome back, everyone. I took a couple weeks off from the podcast for the very first time, and it felt great to have some boundaries over the holidays to not do any or as much work. After a very intense semester at school where I was on it seven days a week in the mornings before the kids got up some days during the day and also every single day after the kids went to bed and both days on the weekend, I needed to create some space between myself and the work I was doing so that I could let my mind recover. And my mental drive was still there. Over the break, I still desperately wanted to be doing work and even to be doing the podcast. But I know that rest is the most important thing for excellence whenever you are pushing yourself. So I created some firm boundaries and took time off of work. I took time off the podcast and I took time off of learning. So I am back, I'm refreshed, and I'm very excited about today's podcast. My semester at school is also starting back up. So I'm heading back to the University of Pennsylvania on Thursday, which is today, to kick off the semester. So today we talk about plant-powered protein. And in fact, Brenda Davis, Corey Davis, and Vasanto Molina came out with a book last year called Plant-Powered Protein. I'm actually in the book, which is kind of cool. And Corey Davis was also on the podcast as a previous guest talking about the environmental implications of eating animal-based proteins. And you can check out that episode if you are interested. It is linked up in the show notes. In the vast realm of nutrition, Brenda Davis has emerged as a beacon of wisdom, guiding us towards the transformative power of plants and plant-powered proteins. Many moons ago, Brenda's book, Becoming Vegan, ignited a transformative journey for myself and for my husband. In fact, he gave me the book. Now, in a delightful reunion, we dive into Brenda's latest masterpiece, Plant-Powered Protein. 
Brenda and I have been friends for years. And in fact, she was episode two or three on this podcast almost seven years ago. And I was so excited to record that episode because she came to my house. And immediately after, we became really good friends. We lived in the same city for a long time. We both live in different places now. But it was so cool to not only get to know Brenda, but to see how she lives her life as her friend. And I am always so inspired by her. Embarking on a plant-based lifestyle is more than a dietary choice. It's a profound commitment to personal health, environmental sustainability, and the well-being of all living beings. Brenda and I explore the nuanced realms of aging with vitality, decoding protein quality, and unraveling the mysteries of plant-based protein sources, offering not just dietary guidance, but a holistic perspective on well-being. I changed my diet in 2013, so I guess that is now encroaching upon 11 years ago, and it's hard to imagine that it's been that long, but that was one of the best things that I've ever done, and I did it for health reasons because I wanted to prevent any of these lifestyle diseases that creep up on you whenever you get older so that I could have vitality and health span as I age. If you're interested in being a plant-based athlete, I also recommend picking up the book, The Plant-Based Athlete. We've recorded an episode on that. It is a New York Times bestseller. I am also featured in that book, including a story about the mental side of how I approach sport. But that book is so powerful as well because it talks about all of these different athletes, how they approach eating a plant-based diet, the science of plant-based for athletes, and also a bunch of recipes. So if you are interested, it's the new year. Many people are interested in making changes with a clean slate. Make sure that you pick up Plant Power Protein with Brenda Davis and also The Plant-Based Athlete by Matt Frazier and Robert Cheek. So back to Brenda. Brenda's commitment to a plant-based lifestyle stems not only from a desire for personal well-being, but also from a profound passion for animal welfare. This dedication has been the driving force behind her journey, spanning 13 books and global educational endeavors all over the world. Trust me, I have seen her globetrotting and traveling and hearing about all of the things that she's been up to, especially the last seven years, inspiring a lifestyle that aligns with their values. The goal of today, let's challenge the conventional definition of protein quality, urging an expansion to include plant-based sources and considerations of ecological consequences. The crux of the matter lay in understanding that adequate protein intake can be achieved through a plant-based diet, provided it encompasses a variety of whole plant foods. Inspired by vibrant friends in their 80s and 90s, Brenda envisions climbing mountains at 100. And trust me, I know she will (laughs) with what I know about Brenda. A testament to the vitality that accompanies a plant-powered existence. However, this vision is juxtaposed with a poignant reflection on Brenda's father, whose unhealthy lifestyle led to various health issues. This stark contrast highlights the pivotal role lifestyle choices play in determining the trajectory of our health. At the heart of our discussion lies a revelation from recent NIH research about protein and overall health. Replacing a mere 3% of calories, 3% of calories from animal protein with plant protein is a game changer, lowering mortality risk by an impressive 10%. Replacing 3% of calories is not very much. That means that there is a potential 54% reduction in mortality risk by substituting the protein from an egg, two ounces of meat, and a cup of milk each day with plant-based alternatives. We talk about plant-based protein needs for all ages, from children to athletes to seniors who actually need more protein than you might think. Some key takeaways you'll learn today are how small shifts make big impacts. And you've heard me talk about that, the power of 
doing something small and how it can impact you in really big ways. In fact, that is the number one piece of feedback I receive from all of my coaching clients is that they didn't realize that doing something so small in their life could be pay such big dividends. We talk about plant-powered staples, how to rely on legumes, tofu, tempeh, and veggie meats as top-notch plant-based protein sources. Welcome to my life. We talk about caloric sufficiency, making sure that you are eating enough and how to help the body effortlessly receive the protein it needs for optimal function. We also talk about cooking because some people think that eating plant-based means that you're going to have to spend many hours in the kitchen. I can tell you from all of Brenda's recipes, they are absolutely delicious and they are simple. And that isn't the case for every single plant-based recipe. So Culinary Convenience, her plant-powered protein book also has some recipes in the back. We also talk about how health is freedom. That was a theme that came up many times. Why our choices now impact how we can live later and the importance of preventative actions in your life and thinking about the future. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have any questions at all about anything plant-based, I've been at it for a very long time. I performed at the top of the world stage in ultra endurance events as a plant-based athlete. I've even become world champion in 24-hour racing eating plant-based diets. So if you have any questions at all, I am here. I'm a resource for you. Of course, pick up Brenda's books, especially Becoming Vegan, which is one that I regularly reference. And I hope you enjoy this episode. Brenda, I'm not sure how many times you've come on the podcast, but this is how we met. You came to my house when we both lived in Kelowna. I think it was episode one. And we That's talked about your your book, Becoming Vegan, which changed my life and Matt's life and is still a book I reference today. So uh, welcome back to the show. And since then, we've become very dear friends. So I love this. Yes. Oh, me too. We were so, I was so excited when I went over to your place for that first interview. <laughs> And then we just, everything just clicked and we had so much fun together. I'm so sad we're so far apart now. (laughs) I know. Thanks for having me on the show again. So today we're going to talk about protein and your new book, Plant Powered Protein. But I have a question that's unrelated to protein specifically. Yeah. You've been doing this for a very long time. You've been writing, how many books have you written now? Uh, 13. 13 books. You've traveled all over the world, educating people. You've been doing this since the 1980s, correct? Yes, that's correct. How do you stay so passionate about this without burning out? Oh, I have to admit, I do allow time for myself. And I stay passionate about it because to me, it's everything. It's what it's what I'm really passionate about. And that's never going to change. To me, it's just one of those things that's win, win, win going more in a plant-based direction uh, preserves our health it preserves the environment and it you know for me this is really important it reduces pain suffering and death in billions of animals and so I can't you know when you care deeply I've always cared deeply about animals and I just so desperately want for humanity to recognize it's responsibility for what sits on our plates. And so I'll never tire of it. And I, you know, I do allow myself, my entertainment, to be honest, a lot of it is fitness and family. So I'll, I'll go um, do some fitness every day, at least an hour or, or sometimes two. And then, you know, I, my grandchildren live two blocks away. My mom lives 10 minutes away. And so we spend quite a bit of time with all of the family that's around my brothers about 20 minutes away. 
So it's, it, I feel very privileged. I, I have a really quite a wonderful life. And I think I have reasonable balance in my life too. Yeah, it's, it's so fortunate that you found something that you're so passionate about in life and that you're able to hold boundaries. Because when people are passionate, so passionate about something, it is hard to hold boundaries and they will give yeah. up lots of other things that are important to them for their passion, which is actually what I just wrote a paper about in school. And when I think wow. about you, Brenda, I think about, you know, you think about the dad, like, what are the blue zone, the people in the blue zones doing, or what are the six pillars <laughs> in the American uh, college of lifestyle medicine? And you actually live all of those things. I think I do. And I think I'm so much better for it. I think that, uh, you know, I'm this, in a couple of months, I turned 65. And I don't feel that much different than I did when I was 35. And I think that's the beauty of this lifestyle. Yeah, I remember um, we had a party at, at my house for your 60th birthday. And I asked you, like, I, I repeat this quote all the time, because I think it's so powerful for how we view this could be a whole other podcast topic, but it's like how we view aging, how we view how we're going to spend our later years in life. And I asked you, you know, what does it mean to you to be 60? And you said, I've known this forever. But my senior years are the years I've always been most excited about. And that was so inspiring to me. <laughs> I, I remember when I was at university doing a presentation on aging and how the value of what elders can give to our society. And there was this little voice in my head saying, the years of your life that will be the most important will be your senior years. And I'm not sure why or how or but I, I kind of always felt that inherently. And I look at, you know, I was just last weekend in Pennsylvania with Colin Campbell and Caldwell Esselstyn. And we were speaking at a, at a little event there. And both Colin and Essie, we call them, will be 90 in the next few months. Wow. Their wives are both 88 years old. And they are just such an example of what is possible. They are, you know, so articulate, so active, and uh, just really uh, very, very engaged in life. And uh, that's my goal. I, I want to be climbing a mountain when I'm 100. <laughs> so I think that's the goal for everybody. It's just not, not just about lifespan. It's about what we call health span, which is you know, still being healthy like the people in the blue zones. And, and you know, there's a new uh, documentary about the blue zones on Netflix. And uh, Dan Buettner kind of takes you to all of the different locations. And and there were some stories in there that just will blow your mind. I, I love when he went to the Nicoya Peninsula. And I think that lady was 105 years old. He arrives at her place and she's chopping wood. <laughs> and you think... That's the goal. <laughs> and I think that's a great segue because you don't just suddenly become, um, have vitality in old age. That's something that you have to start doing now. The things that you, the choices you make today, no matter what age you are, will impact your future. And I think that a lot of times people will wait for something bad to happen before they decide to implement changes. They'll just put off doing the things that are going to support them later because they can't think about later. Yeah, and it's true. I've seen so many people, they wait till they get hit over the head with some horrendous disease before, you know, they make changes. And I, I often share the story about my own father who, 
who was really notorious for living an unhealthy lifestyle. He smoked two packs a day. He ate whatever his heart desired. And it was, we always had three kinds of ice cream and four Pepperidge Farm frozen layer cakes in the freezer. It was just, he loved food and he, he ate a lot and he was quite overweight. And he, you know, he had diabetes and high blood pressure and heart disease and everything else. And I can remember having the conversation with him, you know, why are you doing this to yourself? And he said, you know, he said, I'd rather live 50 years being able to do all the things that I enjoy, having the freedom to do what I love to do, than to live 75 years having to restrict this and restrict that. He said, you know, I could get hit by a truck tomorrow. And I responded, I I know, Dad, but it doesn't mean you have to walk out in front of one. you know." It took my dad until he got hit over the head when he got diagnosed. He had a stroke and got diagnosed with diabetes and hypertension and everything else. And I can remember the doctor saying, if you stop smoking, you might live three years if you're lucky. You know, your body is shot. And I can remember sitting on my dad's hospital bed with him and we were both crying. And and it was at that point that my dad started to understand that without health, there is no freedom. When you're hooked up to a dialysis machine, there is no freedom. And he was hooked up to a dialysis machine for 11 years. But he he did make some changes after that. But, you know, people need to recognize also that the degree of change in your health is directly proportional to the degree of change in your lifestyle. And so people that make dramatic changes in their lifestyle will see dramatic changes in their health generally. So anyway, it's it's very sad that people wait to that point to make healthy choices. So I'm I'm sorry to hear that happened with your dad. And I'm sure that was so frustrating for you because you knew here here are all the pieces, here are all the things you need to do. And then they didn't happen. And that that's really yeah. hard whenever we're trying to help our family make changes and then they don't listen to us. Yeah, that that's for sure. And my dad listened to some extent and he did, you know, start being more physically active and eating oatmeal and blueberries and flax seeds instead of bacon and eggs for breakfast. He made some changes. And to be fair, he lived another 26 years after he was told he wouldn't live three. So he definitely made a difference in his life. And, and I'm, I'm so very grateful for that. But, you know, when you look at my mom, they they actually, you know, ate the same meals and lived in the same home. My mom will be 86 in a couple of weeks. And she is the, a blue zone example. Uh, it, she she never overate. She always exercised. And at 86, at almost 86, she's she does, you know, fitness classes four times a week. She curls. We go for walks together all the time. She, you know, is in unbelievably good health. So it's really very possible. Okay, so let's talk about your book, Plant Powered Protein. I had your son, Corey Davis, which will link on the podcast uh, show notes. Oh, wonderful. Um, it was great to talk to him. And, and it was it was funny <laughs> because I know you so well, but I've never met your son. So I really enjoyed <laughs> And, and we talked about plant-powered protein in the environment and the implications that eating meat has on the environment, which I think is at the top of people's mind, climate change. Absolutely. Um, but for today, we're going to focus on the nutritional aspect of plant-powered protein. And I love that in the book, you've divided it into different sections. So like if you're pregnant or you have toddlers, like how do you, 
how do you know how much protein to give them? If you're a senior, if you're an athlete, if you're, you know, just kind of like the, a general, I don't know what the, the best way to call it, like just kind of a normal, normal age and, and no different conditions for yourselves. So I guess the first question is, um, there's a lot of conflicting information out there about protein, like, oh, high protein diets are bad. You need to eat low protein or you need to fast or do all these things. Like according to the research that you've done, what is the best approach to eating protein, how much we need and the type of protein? Well, you know, one of the things that I think is really very interesting is that we as a sort of medical scientific community have been defining protein quality based on the amino acid profile in a food and its digestibility. And I think it's really time that we expanded the definition because what we know now is we know that plant protein sources are very strongly associated with reduced morbidity and mortality or reduced death and disease compared to animal protein sources. And to me, that, that's huge. And that's a big quality uh, definer in my view. And also, I think that in, in this day and age, we need to factor in the ecological consequences of our choices as well. And so I, I think we, we just need to expand that definition. But basically, in, in answer to your question, I think we need to, and, and, and this is just very simple, we need to meet the RDA for protein. And the RDA, you know, it, it, it's 0.8 grams per kilogram body weight for, for adults. It's a little more for children. It's around one gram per kilogram for children and about 0.85 for teens. And then we, you know, we don't have separate recommendations for athletes. We don't have separate recommendations for seniors. But most health authorities would suggest 1.2 to 2 grams per kilogram for athletes. And for seniors, although North America doesn't have separate recommendations, there are separate recommendations in many countries. So Australia, all the Nordic countries, there are several, several countries that have separate recommendations. And most health authorities now are leaning towards 1 to 1.2 or even 1.3 grams per kilogram uh, during the senior years. And that's simply because seniors are less able to break foods down and absorb essential amino acids. They're less able to build uh, muscle with the protein that they do absorb. So their needs are, are likely higher. And in the plant-based world, you'll hear, well, just eat enough calories and then you'll get enough protein. And you and I have talked about this um, another date about how that isn't necessarily true. Can you, can you talk about that? Yeah, so generally there'll be a couple of factors that will come into play here. And one is if you're eating uh, your 90% of your calories are coming from whole plant foods. So uh, legumes and, and a range of whole plant foods. So you're eating not just starches, like a lot of people eat a lot of starches, but you're including sufficient legumes, you're including sufficient nuts and seeds and fruits and vegetables. And that's the bulk of your calories. You, you, if you get enough calories, you probably will get enough protein. But if your diet is, is a fruitarian diet, if your diet is a tea and toast diet, like a lot of seniors, if your diet is a junk food diet where you're eating, you know, drinking soda and eating French fries, 
you're not going to get enough protein in those dietary patterns, or it is a lot bigger challenge to do so. And then the other thing to consider is the times and in, in our lives where our needs change. So um, for most athletes, the caloric intake increases enough to provide sufficient protein, but not always. There are some athletes who are trying to get super lean and they may be eating fewer calories. So they need to focus more on protein-rich foods. There are many seniors as well that need to focus on protein-rich foods because their caloric intake is, is very limited generally. They eat less food. And so the food that they do eat needs to be more concentrated in protein. So there are, there are a number of times. And, you know, when you look at picky eaters, some children who just want to eat pasta and bread, they may not be getting enough protein by doing that. So even though they're getting enough calories. So although that commonly people that get enough calories who are eating healthy, whole food, plant-based diets will typically get enough protein. That's not always the case. Thanks for clarifying that. And a follow-up question, because your last book that I interviewed you about was Nourish, which is about plant-based for pregnancy, for, for childhood, for adolescence. How do you get your kid to eat more than just bread and pasta? Because I think that this is rampant and I've experienced this <laughs> with my kids. <laughs> you know, I think that the biggest thing is to not introduce highly processed foods if you can help it. So start out from the get-go. It's much harder for families that have been omnivorous or who have already exposed children to a lot of highly processed foods. It's easier if you're doing what you're doing, Sonia, where you start out with a healthy whole food plant-based diet. The children tend to be more willing to include the variety of foods. And I can remember with my own children, you know, it, it, I think it's important to include children from a pretty early age in growing food, in going to the farmer's market and picking food, in preparing food, even little children, there are things they can do in the kitchen and they love to do. They just love having their hands in food. And so getting them exposed and, and introducing them to the widest range of foods and getting excited about those foods yourself. So, you know, whenever I bring a new food home, if it was a star fruit or whatever new vegetable, I would get really excited about it and really excited about tasting it. And so if you pass that sort of excitement on to your children and, and, I, I can remember one time, you know, being in a restaurant and it was a, an Asian restaurant in the little town we were in. And I think my son was, you know, maybe not quite two years old. And my daughter was probably, you know, four and a half or something like that, or, you know, close to five. And we had been out shopping and I thought, I'm going to treat them. We'll, we'll buy lunch at a restaurant. So I can remember we got you know, stir fries and, you know, a noodle dish and all kinds of things. And they were just beyond themselves with excitement. They were just digging in and they, they thought they had just, you know, died and gone to heaven. And then there was a family in the table next to us and the kids were eating grilled cheese sandwiches and french fries 
off the kids' menu. And the lady came over to me and she said, how do you get your kids to eat that stuff? And I mean, it, it was all a treat. They, they even had some white rice, I think. They'd never had white rice before. It was, it was just for them such a treat because they hadn't been exposed to all of this highly processed food. And so I think it really matters what, you know, what we're exposing our children to and how we enjoy it ourselves. And I was very fortunate. My kids were never really picky. They would eat whatever we were preparing and pretty happy to do so. So I think you, you really need to set boundaries. And I don't think children should not be allowed to have treats or you know, I, I don't, I think we need to expose kids to a, a variety of, of things. We can generally make healthy treats. We really don't want to introduce sugar until a child is about two years of age. But it's hard, especially if they have over, older siblings who are eating, you know, some sweeter foods and so forth. But yeah, just engage kids in food, everything food. I'm just laughing because... We were at lots of family weddings this year and people kept wanting to give my kids lollipops or candy. And I said, I, I don't, I don't give them candy. They're not allowed to have that stuff. And just the looks I was getting, like I'm some tyrant for not <laughs> giving my kids the lollipops and that, that's fine. Um, so I want to ask you about yeah. some of the best sources of vegan proteins, because like we know that whole foods is probably the best way to get this, but people have whole foods. People can get these veggie meats. People can look at protein powders. And a lot of times people want to do the easiest thing possible. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, what's the easiest, I guess my question is not what is the best source, but my question is what is the most expedient way to get vegan protein without sacrificing nutrients or your diet? Yeah. So, you know, to me, I think, looking to the legume group that's where you know legumes are are 20 to 40 percent of calories from protein and so you know but you don't have to just eat a bowl of beans you, you know tofu is a wonderful source of protein tempeh is a really good source of protein all of the the soy foods veggie meats are super convenient and they're 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 about the same amount of protein as comparable you know, animal flesh uh, meat. So they're they're very rich sources of protein. But of course, the healthiest source would be less processed foods. So they have less salt, less added fat, and so on. And they have more fiber and more phytochemicals and more antioxidants than what you get from these more highly processed foods. So the way I would suggest, especially if you're, you know, a family, the way that I would do it is to have mostly whole plant foods. So if you're doing tacos, you're doing, you know, black bean filling or, or you're doing stew, you use beans in the stew or you do, a, you know, a pasta sauce, you put some red lentils in the pasta sauce that kind of disappear into it. You can do those kinds of things. But I don't think the, the veggie meats and, and these kinds of foods are off limits at all. I think they can be a part of a healthy plant-based diet and they allow you know, their convenience. So if your child is going to some sort of brownies or scouts or cubs or whatever, and the kids are roasting hot dogs, they can roast a hot dog too. If you know, you're, you're having a barbecue with omnivores, it's nice to have a burger that 
you know, kind of looks like everybody else's burgers. So they can be very, very convenient as well. And I think, you know, the protein powders and all of these things can be very convenient, especially for people with much higher requirements, such as athletes. But they're not absolutely necessary. And I know I make my husband a smoothie on a regular basis, and I don't use protein powders in the smoothies. I use uh, hemp seeds, I use frozen peas, and I use soy milk. And I still get the, the amount of protein really quite high in the smoothie by using these whole foods. So that's another option too. I think about people that do not want to eat beans. Like my mom is somebody, she's like, I just don't want to eat beans. Therefore I can't be plant-based. And some people don't like tofu either. So if someone were to look at their diet and just trade out the like animal products and, and sub in the veggie meats, are they still going to be ahead in their health by doing that? Yes. Yes. And I say that not just sort of off the cuff. I say that uh, because there is evidence that supports that they are going to be ahead in their health. There have been many studies that have pitted plant-based proteins against, um, you know, a similar animal-based protein. And we see improvements in, in a number of indicators of health. So first of all, we know that that the plant-based options have a lower carbon footprint, they, you know, less animal pain, suffering, and death, but they also have less saturated fat. They don't have any cholesterol. They have no new 5GC, which is a pro-inflammatory uh, molecule. They don't cause TMAO production. Uh, they don't have the TMAO uh, precursors. They have fewer environmental contaminants. You know, I mean, we need to recognize they are highly processed. Some have a lot of added fat and sodium. They can be pretty costly. They are often fortified, though, so they, they may can contain similar amounts of iron and zinc and B12 and so on. You would need to read the label to check that. But in, in a number of studies that we've seen, you know, lower cholesterol levels with people being fed the, the plant-based alternatives, less constipation, better uh, CRP levels, uh, which is an indicator of inflammation. So I think it's pretty clear that they are better. But what I would suggest to people that, that say, I don't like beans, I don't like lentils or any of those things, is to try to make an effort to add them in small ways. So for example, you know, hummus is made with chickpeas. And that's something that may be acceptable for people that otherwise might say, I don't like beans. My mom, I remember when we first moved here, was kind of not keen on having beans, but I kept providing her with Things like a, a, a red lentil soup with, that made with squash and some really beautiful seasonings. And she loved that soup. And so I was able to get a little bit of legumes in her that way. And then I would make a, a lentil pancake. So it's a, you know, you basically soak red lentils in water and then and then you blend them with water and 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 make a crepe and and make some beautiful fillings for the crepe. And and that is acceptable for a lot of people. The problem with legumes is they cause GI distress and gas and so on. But if you blend the legumes or you cook them really, really well, they tend to be less problematic if you consume them in smaller amounts. So you sprinkle a few on a salad, you've got a few in a soup, 
they, they many people are, are keener to eat them that way. And so there are a lot of ways we can sneak them into the diet without, you know, having that big bowl of beans in front of us. And what about people that don't like to cook? That's like one of the number one reasons people say, I can't eat plant-based because I don't like cooking. Oh, well, <laughs> you know, I mean, I just can't imagine because I, you know, cooking to me is so therapeutic. I love to cook. And so people who say I don't like to cook, I wonder if it's because, you know, I, I, I look at why. Is it because they don't have enough time? If it's because they don't have enough time, maybe they want to look at, you know, some of these, you know, companies that provide food that make it easier for them. Maybe they want to look at recipe books that are super, super simple. And there are many of those that just provide, you know, five ingredient recipes that are really simple. But maybe it's because they're not comfortable in the kitchen and they just don't have the experience on how to prepare foods in a healthy way. And for those individuals, I would say take a, a plant-based uh, cooking course. Uh, there are lots of them. There are lots of them online and get comfortable with preparing food. And then, of course, there are ways, you know, there are lots of things you can do, one, to make it easier. So one of the things that I always have, if you look in my fridge at any time, You'll always find a big green salad uh, that's undressed. So I'll I'll prepare them. I'll prepare a big salad that'll it'll last for three days. There's always a big bowl of grains, and there's always a bowl of you know some sort of legume, and or tofu. And I love tofu that's that's just cut in little cubes, the firm tofu, and baked with seasonings and you know turmeric and and a little bit of tamari to make it taste really good. And then, and then you've got, if you've got this bowl of tofu, well, it can go on the salad, it can go on a, a Buddha bowl, it can go on, you know, whatever, it can go in a stir fry. And part of it to me is, is really thinking ahead and making things in big batches so that you've always got, when you have a, a bowl of grains and a bowl of beans in the fridge, it makes it really easy to make a, a bowl for dinner because all you have to do is steam your vegetables. And also, I always make a big dressing you know, tahini and lemon dressing or something like that, that will last a week. So it can go on a bowl, it can go on the salad. So that putting together a meal, it it, it really isn't cumbersome when you've got these things pre-prepared. Yeah, I think the main reason uh, is that people don't have time or they don't, don't want to make time for cooking. Yeah. And this is something that happens in our house, frankly, like we're all very busy but then I ask myself, what is one of the most important things to me? And health might not be the most important thing to other people, but to me, it's one of the most important things. And then I ask, well, what behaviors am I supporting so that I can be healthy? And if, if we agree that food is one of the most important things that we do and that we eat, and yet we don't make time to prepare healthy, nutritious, vibrant foods, then you're actually living against your values. So, Absolutely. and like, what are you doing instead uh, of that time? And I also think that we assign that it's going to be harder than it is, or it's going to be no fun, or it's going to take longer. And we don't actually do it because of all the excuses we make in our heads. So I like to say motivation follows action. So just start, just say, I'm going to cut one bell pepper and just start and see what happens or, or 
or do it in small doses. Maybe you have five minutes, cut a bell pepper. Maybe later in the day, you have 10 minutes, cube up some tofu. Maybe you have, you're watching Netflix, cook your grains while you're watching Netflix. And suddenly now you have all of these things at your disposal in your fridge. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So I guess the last question for you, Brenda, is are there any recent research findings in the development uh, in the field of plant-based nutrition or plant-based protein that you've come across that you want to share? Well, uh, there are a number. So I guess, you know, there are a number that have looked at comparing animal protein to plant protein and risk of disease. And then there are, there, there are also some that have looked at uh, frailty in seniors that I think are it's just so interesting and um, sarcopenia as well. And in many of these studies that are looking at seniors, what we see is we see when the protein comes from plants, uh, people do better. And they do better, I think, because they have less inflammation, they have higher antioxidant levels. And so this supports uh, health in so many ways. But in terms of morbidity and mortality, there are a number of studies. And one of the, the recent studies that I think is, is, is a big NIH study, it's, it's from 2020, so a couple of years ago, but, but they looked at over 400,000 individuals and they found a 10% drop in overall mortality when 3% of calories from animal protein. And to, to put this into uh, context, in a 2,000 calorie diet, 3% of calories would be 60 calories. That's fewer calories than you would get in one large egg or one ounce of meat. Okay, so so 60 cal- fatty meat. I mean, some meat will be as low as 40, 45 calories for an ounce. But but generally, meat is is close to the 60 calories. An egg would be just a little over the the 60 calories. And so it's a very small amount of animal protein you're swapping for plant protein. And they found that when you do that, you drop overall mortality 10%. And so imagine that's 60 calories. Imagine if you swap 240 calories, you would reduce risk of mortality 30%. You would be multiplying it by three times. And so, but they look specifically as well at what about specific types of animal products? So for eggs, it was 24% risk reduction in mortality for men and 21% in women when 3% of calories from eggs were replaced with plant protein. It was around the 15% for, for meat. And then for dairy, I think it was 8%. So it, it, you know, if we, I did some math, and if you replaced one large egg, which is 78 calories, two ounces of meat, which is about 142 calories, and a cup of milk, a 2% milk, about 103 calories, you replace those with plant protein each day, you could reduce your risk of mortality by 54%. So that's, that's pretty powerful. Wow. So what you're saying is that making a very small change in where you get your protein, switching to a little bit of plant-based protein makes a massive difference in mortality and that people don't even necessarily have to be 100% plant-based. They just have to start shifting a little bit to make a big difference in their health. Oh, no question. And it's one step at a time. It's not about being perfect. It's about moving in the right direction. And every little step you take in the right direction, I think is worth celebrating. 
So I, I love what you said, Sonia. It's, you know, just move, move towards a more plant-based diet is a really good way to start. I have two quotes that I wrote down that were one of the first one gave me goosebumps. I just want to repeat before we sign off. So number one, you said without health, there is no freedom without health. There is no freedom. And then every step we take in the right direction is worth celebrating. Oh, thank you for that. Thanks, um, where Thanks can people so find, much, find plant powered protein and your other books? So plant-powered protein can be found, I mean, it's, of course, on Amazon or any of the major bookstores. This is what it looks like. And, um, you know, I was really privileged to, to be able to write this book with my co-author, uh, Vasanto Molina, who I've written many books with, but to bring my son in, Corey Davis, and with the environmental piece. And, and uh, just such a, such a joy to do that. But yeah, it's it's available uh, online easily, and uh, yeah, I you can reach me on Facebook or my email is Brenda Davis at telus.net. All right, thanks, Brenda. Thank you so much, Sonia. Brenda is a wealth of knowledge and somebody that always inspires me and who I want to be like. I hope that you enjoyed this episode and make sure that you check out her new book. She's also been on the podcast several times. I also have linked up in the show notes, plant-based eating with kids. Brenda has also written a book about plant-based pregnancy and kids called Nourish. So there's so much information I can give you on my website. Go to sanyalooney.com slash podcasts, go to the drop down menu and choose plant-based and you'll find a wealth of knowledge, or you can just shoot me a message. I'm obviously very passionate about eating a plant-based diet and living this lifestyle as I've seen it benefits so many people, including myself. It also benefits the planet and all beings. So I hope with that, you have an amazing day and I'm always with you on this journey of personal growth, adventure, and our mission to be better every day. We'll see you right back here next week.